Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Athletic. The race is on, and after the frenzy of launch season, the moment of truth is upon us with pre-season testing starting in Bahrain on Wednesday. But with just three days to fettle their new cars before the start of a record 24 race season, is that enough time? And what will be the big stories from the secure circuit? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to look ahead to what should be a story-laden test are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Ben Anderson. Scott, about to head to Bahrain? Probably in Bahrain by the time people listen to this. Looking forward to it? Yeah, I think it'll be good to um I think it'll be good to get back on back on site. Um there's there's a lot to look forward to in testing just every year in in general like the the chance to see the cars in 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 three dimensions is always so fascinating after the launches because you, you just no matter how many angles you see of the cars especially when they, you're limited to renders but when if you if you do get lucky and see a real one like the Red Bull or the Alpine for example or you see videos of it running on track, you're always just a little bit like, oh, is that is that actually there? Or you know, what what does that actually look like or, or do? And we do we do get to see the cars more properly once we get into testing, and then especially the first race. So seeing the stuff for real and trying to suss some stuff out is is super exciting. And then also there's the smoke and mirrors, what's been hidden, what's a dummy part, what isn't. That's always fun. And then taking a st- stab at the pecking order, going trackside, listening to what teams say. It's just, it's really fun because it's, we, I don't think we ever pretend that we get a clear picture through testing or by the end of it, but we're just, we're just trying to piece it together as best we can. And it is just, it's this glorious, multi-day, three-dimensional, real-world puzzle. And it's just, it's just probably the most fun part of the season. And Ben, obviously you've been through the stress of the launch season as well. So do you <laughs> yes. feel like you've had time to recover from the launches before testing? Oh, it's been a wild few weeks, hasn't it? Even before the launches, you know, with the driver market bombshells, it feels like... Yeah, we didn't stand like a chance. <laughs> no, it feels like we've crammed about six months worth of Formula One development into about three weeks. Uh, but it's been great. I mean, I'm really pleased with how much real Formula One car we've seen through launch season that's been the the most enjoyable thing and the surprise thing for me and also having some of you guys on site to actually see those cars in the flesh as well so we don't have to just rely on those misleading renders and we've seen probably more than ever the stark contrast between those misleading digital images and and the the cars in the flesh like Scott says once testing happens you get you know much more of the cards on the table approach um yeah, it is a very exciting time. I'm, I love testing. How, I haven't been for a while though, so how you know how much, how much greater are the lengths they go to obscuring stuff compared to the the Barcelona days of you trying to just peer over a human a human wall to catch a glimpse of a car with its clothes off. It tends to be it tends to be not too bad. They they went to some lengths, didn't they, in the regulations to stop the people just being able to put big um, physical shields up 
for no reason. I think there might even be Ferrari. They love yeah, that yeah, yeah. Ferrari, yeah, exactly. Ferrari, the Ferrari Shield. <laughs> um, and generally, it'd be interesting to go back this year and see if anything's changed for any reason with how F1 and the FIA tried to regulate things. But they're always there are usually pretty good opportunities to to go out scouting, whether that's trackside or pit lane or through the paddock. And um, I think I, I I'll be honest. I think. The further we get away from the way things worked during the sort of COVID era of F1, I think the more people are sort of going back to the older way of dealing with people like people rather than just an opportunity to bat things away. COVID made it quite easy to try and do everything remotely. But I do think, I think it was by the end of 21, I do think, and then into 22, a lot of the teams had pretty much worked out actually it might be easier, but like it is worse. Like even for the teams and yeah. the drivers, it was worse. So I do, I do feel like we sort well, of the drivers. The drivers found themselves doing more stuff, didn't they? I remember talking to Carlos <laughs> Science about it. He was like, actually, the the diary of events, including like commercial engagements, grew because they realised they could condense it by having so much stuff on Zoom or whatever remotely. Yeah. So I think for for the for the personnel, it's a relief certainly on the marketing side, to do stuff more in person. Yeah, and I think, I, I do think that when we get to testing, like, yes, there, there, there is obviously the, the secrecy and some teams are worse than others for wanting to keep things pointlessly secret um, as much as they can. That's just their general position. doesn't really matter whether it's launch season or not. But I do think when, by the, when, you, when you get everyone together in the paddock again, there is just quite a collective, oh, everyone wants to talk to each other and yeah. oh yeah, can, we can share a little bit. And I, I feel like we've got back to a happier kind of middle ground again. I, I still don't think... Well, also people aren't miserable after the, like, the end of a long season, <laughs> are they? The last few races, everyone's just like, oh, I want to go on holiday. And then you get, yeah, to, yeah. you get to February and everyone's like, oh, I want to be back in F1. I want to be back in I, the paddock. I think there is, I think there is a, a sincere enthusiasm for it. And I don't... I don't think we'll ever get back to the days of it being like as open as it was probably even sort of five to ten years ago, which obviously even then wasn't as open as it was 20 years ago and stuff like that. But but it's it's better than I think it was the direction it was heading two or three years ago when I was worried it was going to be really closed off. That's 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 how I see it again. Ed, you've got a slightly broader range of F1 eras and testing secrecy and team paranoia to compare it to. So is it a lost cause going to testing nowadays? <laughs> Yeah, well, we were going to get into this in the, in the first part of the podcast, so we might as well dive into it now, because testing has changed quite a bit. I always think it was Valencia 2010, which was the first pre-season test that year, when things really changed, because you go to a pre-season test, I mean, even the year before, I remember going to them in 2009, and was, there'd was be hardly anyone there. Was the first be... year of the restrictions, where it was just like, because before everyone no, could test 2000... a lot, couldn't they? I, I can't remember exactly. 2009 was the first year they had the in-season testing ban. Right. Uh, but they hadn't quite homogenised pre-season testing. There were a few little breakaways. So some went to Algarve. There was some running in Bahrain. It wasn't quite as diffuse as it was before that. But then once you're in 2010, once you're in 2010, you have the start of the, right, these are the pre-season tests. I think there were four pre-season tests uh, that year. So that was the point it started to become more formalised. But that first day at Valencia, you had Schumacher back in the Mercedes, Alonso in the Ferrari. There'd been a lot of driver swaps in the top team, so it was it was quite a big deal. Jensen Button, of course, was at, at McLaren at that point, so that was a really big story. There was a big crowd there on the first Alonso day. I can't remember if the first day was Alonso day or the second one, because uh, he and Massa were, were sharing the running, but there was a big crowd there of, I don't know, 30, 40, 50,000, something like wow. that. And that, that was the start of testing being sort of one 
an event one uh, yeah a race weekend event now because there were still four tests you get a little bit of a lull and like the second and third test would be a bit quieter and it pick up again but yeah it has become more more frenzy but but scott we do learn things from testing don't we we don't learn everything but we learn a tiny bit from the launches not as much as we'd like to but then you learn a bit more from pre-season testing and the way I always think of it is it's starting to formulate our model of what we think the performance is which is constantly adjusted all the way through the season you refine that and by the time you get to race 24 as it'll be this year you know everything about performance in testing you're still grasping in the dark but you do learn things it is the start of the narrative it is and you do learn learn things and it, like I said earlier like I think the ma- the important thing is like when you're covering testing, this doesn't just go for us. It's, it's anyone that's covering testing in, in, in the media or following it from home. The key is to just not pretend that you know more than you do. And we 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 end up, by the end of the test, trying to make a, an educated guess of where we think the pecking order is, where the problems are, who's looking good, who's looking bad. But I do think that process over the three days, and maybe even before, because of what you've heard from from the launches and, and, and other whispers that, that do the rounds in the off-season... You build it. You build that pecking order picture from the bottom because it's easier through testing to establish who's in trouble than it than who is looking absolutely mighty. Because those those areas of um, being impressive, whether it's that headline grabbing lap time or that um, really impressive long run, that materializes over two or three days because you need more context. But when you when you see teams stuck in the garage for a few hours at a time when you see a car that runs on track and suffers a mechanical problem when you go trackside and i will be doing this several times people listening if i crop up on our podcast through testing people will hear me being trackside at turns nine and ten because i bloody love going there in bahrain um when you go there and you see the same cars locking up in the 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 loaded combination corner entries time and time again whether it looks like they're pushing hard or not you start to get an idea of car characteristics. Then we talk to drivers, we're talking to teams, they're confirming some suspicions or downplaying others. But you do get an idea of who is in a bit more trouble. And then on top, on, then from there, you try to layer in the, well, who's looking and sounding good? What does this car look like on track? Forget the headline lap times, but what stints are starting to look impressive because you can't disguise a fuel load if you go out and do half a race simulation or even a full race simulation by the end of testing, which is a bit less common these days with the shorter tests because you're having to pack more into smaller runs. And then it's by the end of the test, you're like, how the hell do we work out that middle? (laughs) So it goes... That's that. I think that's. I think that's fair. I think it's. I think it's the bottom of the pecking order s- settles first. Then you get work out the top, and then it's like, oh god, throw throw a dart at a dartboard and pick out this anywhere between three and six teams where they fit in the middle of the order. I think it's always slightly more obvious. Let's say when the regulations have just changed because there's so much to look at, and there tends to be much bigger swings between who's feeling comfortable or looking good and who isn't once you get to kind of this phase or season three a mature set of regulations it's a lot more settled so you can kind of you know that where the teams finished the last season they're not there's unlikely to be a night and day difference from one year to the next unless there's been a huge monumental mess up and that will become apparent as early as testing you know and the the trackside observations in the long runs, like you mentioned, Scott, they are the things that really do tell you stuff. That that's why it's worth being there because you can't hide a car's behaviour, and you'll you'll pick up those traits 
and certainly you can you can analyze that against what the teams have set out to do you know launch season they set their stall out we've heard from all manner of technical directors and team people about what their targets are and what areas of the car they focused on and you can you can match the real world to those those theoretical efforts and that's always quite fun the one lap pace i mean you obviously want to look at it and people pay attention to the headline times but it's always disguised because everyone offsets their run programs and use different tires and they disguise pace with fuel sometimes especially if they think they've got a good car on the reverse end if you think your car's a bit shonky or you're you're trying to please sponsors you take the fuel out to do a, a glory run it's always fun to look at the glory runs but i do think in in the way fallen ones laid out now with the budget caps as well i mean alonso used to always say through the hybrid era you know express this frustration that what you start the season with you're kind of stuck with because the avenues to, for development and the rates of development aren't what they used to be from his earlier days and i think that's probably even more true now where you are actually restricted in terms of what you can do so i think testing perhaps more than ever gives you a clear indication of where people are starting from because they haven't got the room to change that too much so it's it's and when you have overhauled your car over the winter quite dramatically as a few teams have it's quite an quite an important crucial three days coming up what um what will amuse me will be the first signs of trying to read between the lines of what drivers are saying and I remember uh, th- th- this will stick with me all through. Uh, you can't te- tell testing. Scott; they'll always say no, no, you can't well, tell. No. It's only so testing. If, if we get, if 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 um, if he ends up in front of me, I will I will have to ask ask Charles Leclerc this because it amused me massively when he liked Glenn Freeman's tweet at the end of last season, which is that by the end of the year, drivers basically end up talking a lot about, oh, I knew from the first time we put the car down on the track or the first laps I did that we were in for a long season, having spent pre-season testing going oh, it's way too soon to be able to tell where we're at so I'm going to put that to Leclerc if, um, if, I, if I have the chance to bump into him and um, in, in, in Bahrain and just say come wait, you've admitted it you basically you've indirectly admitted it so come yeah. on tell us how good's the car <laughs> and the- well he's already made positive noises based on that three laps or something you had in the shakedown he has yes yeah but you know Ferrari thought they were going to win the title didn't they when they launched last year in that showy launch and then by yeah, Bar- Ferrari. by Bahrain they realized oh no this isn't gonna <laughs> this isn't gonna happen we're in yeah but that was like in all in, in all seriousness on that that came from like there, there was a lot of confidence that came through the work they'd done in the winter and it was basically it was in the build-up to the car running on track after the launch that that's where the noise came from and the positive vibes and it was it was pretty much day one in Bahrain where there were like whispers came out. Like there was a lot of it in the Italian press at the time, and there were a couple of images of I think Leclerc on on the pit wall with Ferrari engineers looking a little bit sus about um, having driven the car. So I think in the in those moments, you you are you're trying to stay objective, and as a journalist, you're trying not to leap to conclusions as as tempting as they may be. So you're you're trying not to get too sucked in by that because um, a three second appearance on camera of a driver with a furrowed brow doesn't necessarily mean that the cars are shed and he's just realised the cars are shed. It can be anything because we we, we all pull faces. Several 2019 times a day. Williams, you knew though, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are exceptions. There are exceptions. I'm I'm, I'm sure, but it's just we we live in a world now where social media is, has given people the, the this this vehicle to make very very strong sweeping declarations out of nothing 
and or out of very little and it's really important to kind of separate that from reality not get too sucked into to sweeping statements we we can express opinions and like i say over the course of three days of testing we will make an educated guess at the end i'm not saying that we're not going to suggest who is quickest or who looks worse but when we do that it will be a snapshot of that moment in time by the end of testing if you're listening to this podcast my suspicion is that you're not too sucked into the declarations of um would-be experts on 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 twitter and 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 you want to have that 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 bigger picture uh but i would be genuinely and sorry ed if i'm getting ahead of this and you're going to do a call to arms at some point in the in the rest of this podcast but i would genuinely be interested to hear the people who are committing to listening to our podcast about testing now what 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 do you like what do they want to know what what do you want to know find out like how much do you actually believe what we say through testing i would just be quite curious to hear because i can sit here and say this is how we try to do it this is what we try to prioritize and this is how we approach it but one you listening might not believe it or two you might think oh that's all well and good but actually i want to know x well it doesn't matter what you say scott because however good a job we do and have done in the past at the end everyone always declares it's only testing and when red bull are smashing everyone by miles christian horner will say oh yeah but it's only bahrain bahrain's an outlier circuit and then once they do the first few races oh yeah but we need a pattern of five races at least to really establish what's going on so you get the same old tropes every year it doesn't matter how good a job you do <laughs> and then of course with the way the calendar is now you say well well, most of the early races are weird outliers anyway, so then you've got to wait even longer. The one thing I will say has changed a bit in testing is Bahrain is a harder circuit in terms of performance analysis than Barcelona was when Barcelona had the last test because Barcelona is very aero-dependent. It's also a track where the percentage spread tends to be bigger than it is in Bahrain. And Bahrain has got these big temperature fluctuations. We run into the night there that can influence lap time. So I would actually say that Bahrain is slightly less good than Barcelona, but that's uh, that's by it's good the, for the first race, though. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it makes it uh, makes it interesting. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's one of those uh, it's one of those things. You can still learn some things, and we'll we'll be trying to do that. And of course. As uh, Scott said, we like a bit of a call to arms on this podcast. And remember, we have got our special offer to join the Race Members Club because we're, for a limited period, offering a free one-month trial membership. So you can enjoy everything the Race Members Club has to offer before we take any money from you. And then after that, it'll be just £2.99 a month. We've got loads of stuff planned over testing and then during the season. So check the link in the podcast, head to our website and find out all about it ebay motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly brake kits led headlights bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Right, let's get into some specifics now, Ben. Everyone's looking forward to seeing the 10 2024 F1 cars in action, including us. So many question marks about launch specifications, hidden details, etc., etc. Can you pick out one car you're particularly excited about seeing, please? Oh, do I have to pick one? That's such a, such a hard thing to do, to just pick one. Quick, reveal your bias. Uh, you can't pick five and then add five honourable mentions. No, you can't do that. You've got to go for one. Another podcast we do, you pick like four, bring back the tens memories when it's meant to be one. So why can't I cheat on your show? <laughs> the rules don't apply to me. I make the rules. I am the <laughs> One. I have to pick one. Okay. And then Scott will pick one off. I think, I think, I think for me it has to be... I think I'm going to have to go... I admire the fact you started the sentence. For me, it has to be before you had an answer. Oh, that's so so tough to call. I mean, there's it's f- the Alpine, isn't it? <laughs> How did you guess? I mean, there's it's, it's between four. <laughs> and you can probably guess you can probably guess which four they are, and all all for differing reasons. Is it four Salbers? <laughs> yes, again, it just it's like you're a mind reader. Um, I think I have to go with the Red Bull just because of the excitement around the concept change being so different compared to the direction most others seem to have been going in based on what they were doing before i really like this idea that that even though they've been in such a dominant position they felt the need to really throw everything at it and change direction and the the trepidation in that in terms of whether they've just moved the game on several steps and are going to blow everyone out of the water again or they may have tripped up by just being too aggressive when they were in a leading position. I think that's fascinating. Well, Scott, as promised, do you want to throw in a car now? Do I have to needlessly equivocate for ages, or can I just give you a straight answer? Keep the equivocation down to 45 minutes, so it's a bit quicker than Ben's. Uh, McLaren. Yeah, it's it's quite simple for me, because uh, there's a lot on the other cars that are interesting, um, and it'll be good to see them in person and see how they might work and see the cars on track. But what, like I said at the very start, for me, testing is really fun when you're starting to fill in the blanks. And there are, I don't think there's another car with the blanks to fill in quite like the McLaren because they were so secretive. And I have a sneaking suspicion they weren't hiding that much. Um, I think there will be some really interesting detail there. But we've seen before what, that they Photoshop a... A, a floor edge or something and then it gets revealed and it's just a fairly not standard but you know it's a it's just a floor edge with some vortex generators on it or a, a diff- slight, slightly different version of what was on there before and I might be wrong and that's why I want to find out uh, have they been leading us on misdirecting us over something that's actually quite minor or is there something really fascinating there is that side pod inlet not quite what it seems because they kept that nice and dark how does that wing interact with the the the, the rest of the, the 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 pod and the um the the upper sips um and also just a few other areas that they tried to disguise like the floor edge like the fact they kept the front suspension and the central section leading into the underfloor nice and dark and shadowy in their in their images what has mclaren gone to such lengths to hide is it actually worth it i'll be a bit disappointed if it's quite underwhelming this is a team i expect a lot from so that's that's why it's mclaren for me there's something kind of tangible that i want to discover whereas the others it's kind of a like loose fascination i put the red bull in the same camp but ben picked red bull so i didn't want to just pick the same team <laughs> yeah i think uh reason i picked red bull over mclaren is i i suspect you had first pick well there's that but also <laughs> I, also i suspect the mclaren won't be quite as revelatory as the secrecy leads you to think just because they established such a strong direction through last year particularly 
through the second through the middle and the second half that I just don't think they're going to massively overhaul and potentially throw themselves off that course there obviously will be changes and you're right there's always going to be a fascination in peeling back those layers of layers of secrecy but I just I just feel like it's not going to be it's going to be an iterative step for them which makes sense given the, the path they're on I think similar to Ferrari but for different reasons I feel like Ferrari we always want to see a Ferrari but I don't feel like and I think Mark Hughes wrote this as well it doesn't seem like they've really gone to town with it they overhauled it but they haven't they haven't thrown too much innovation on on what we've seen so far so it seems to be more about like giving the drivers a a calmer platform to do their thing with and extracting lap time from what's there rather than chasing it so I think if I had to pick a second it would be the Merck I feel like the Mercedes in terms of what we've seen so far that's that's them pushing the boat out a bit more in pursuit of Red Bull. So it'd be really interesting to see if that works as well. Every he's other pick, car, He's you... picked another team, Ed. I have picked another team. I've snuck another one in there. <laughs> well, I, I was going to allow us to have a second round, which I, I still might do, but uh, yeah. Well, there you go. I've done it. Red Bull and Merck. <laughs> before we get on to the second round... Deal with get... it. <laughs> before we get into the second round, I want to hear Ed's explanation for why he's so much looking forward to the Sauber. Uh, we know. It's because Ed's the, the, the chairman of the Sauber fan club. Yeah, I'm always looking forward to the Sauber. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Especially when it's got that green highlighter pen livery. Exactly. I think you'll find that that's uh, that's a, uh, a dramatic new look. All about it matches. It's, it matches your garish personality. Exactly. Yeah, but it's all about it's all about unleashed, which is the new uh, the the motto that what's the it's a, your the new motto. motto. The whole. Well, I, I was trying to remember what what um, what phrase was used to describe it. They called it a mantra. That unleashed thing because they had hashtag unleashed for the launch and the green and black look was all part of that and it was all wow. a new exciting team so I'm even more excited about Sauber than ever perhaps they can move from ninth in the championship up to eighth wouldn't that be a huge <laughs> story for the, for the coming coming season so um, do, do we do we want to have a second round and are we considering what's your first what's your real car what's your what's real your first is it, one yeah you yeah come on you're behind oh, I'm having to pick you're a lap yeah, you're a lap behind what you do yeah you're well, a lap you behind know just I, like gonna, the Sauber will be <laughs> I'm going to pick. Four, are you going to pick four cars now? Exercise your right as lawmaker in, I'm in really, the podcast host role. I'm really interested to see how the Ligier is, and, <laughs> uh, and I think Ram could throw a surprise. No, well, actually, I might go down the other end because I'm quite interested to see the uh, the appallingly named RB Visa Cash Points nonsense car. Um, because have you have you bought your Mastercard yet? <laughs> you were so outraged by that that you said it was convincing you to to buy a Mastercard Lola. Have I've, you done that? I've never been I've never been more proud to, to, that my that my bank handles banking is a Mastercard. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, yeah I'm, I'm not so keen on Visa at the moment because of that. But what I am hoping is that after all the the nonsense and the subsuming their team identity and just generally doing their launch in a really poor way for for the watching world. I am hoping that the car and the detail that's there and the progress they've made is tangible and interesting because that team's one saving grace, which is kind of the point of the race team, is that it could have a pretty competitive car building on what they had last year. So I'm really interested to see what that car can do because it's a, it's a team that's massively storied with the Ricardo situation and how that could feed into Red Bull's driver choice with Perez and Sonoda. Can he coalesce more into a into a, a strong Grand Prix driver because we know how good his potential level is and he's, he's sort of steadily been making progress but there's still a bit more to come so I'm quite interested in, in that team and yeah where they're going 
in terms of if there's any more aero detail clear because obviously we didn't see the the proper car we had renders but it's one of the cars that's a little bit more mysterious than some of the others at this stage so so i'm looking forward to that yeah i think there's um i think there's a good reason to to be interested in that team arguably for for the first time in in quite a while because how competitive that car is and what the real details on it look like have the potential to define a couple of storylines this year first how competitive other teams are in that midfield because based on where the team got to last year with its Red Bull evolution and inspiration that could easily be the lead midfield team this year and cause problems well well, you'd expect you'd expect a Red Bull RB19 in the midfield to be kind of up there even if it's a year old wouldn't you exactly so so you know (laughs) are they is that team as a customer team going to be sniping at or embarrassing you know the Renault Works team the Aston project that that kind of thing how close can it be to not just consistent points finishes but you know can it snipe at bigger results here and there like Ricardo in in Mexico last year and then fair question I think fair question the extension of that from the performance side leads into the political side how is it is McLaren going to continue to be a lone voice in this anger at the AB arrangements and how the Red Bull and RB team um, symbiosis kind of reflects that. Are others going to get absolutely furious because they're being embarrassed by a second team that just copies? Hundred so, percent, yes. Yeah, I reckon so, Stroll and the Alpine management, whoever's running it by then, will definitely be joining that bandwagon if they find themselves behind. Yes, yeah, and so, even if they don't, Zach Brown is going to is firmly committed to that bandwagon. Oh, he, he won't, he he won't be, stop, will he? He is going to be riding that bandwagon around <laughs> every single he's, paddock this season. He's been saying it for three years, so it's really interesting to see if something will happen to even make. Someone else. I feel like the volume's attention. gone up though, no? The volume is increased to 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it has. It has. But it would just be interesting to see if he, like I say, continues to be a lone voice because it's all well and good yeah. others being annoyed, but they, you know, you need to, to join the choir and actually, you know, as you say, like raise the volume of it, get other people to listen. But there's, and there's another element to it, just purely because I just want to see, I want to see if this team can do well. And it, it amused me a little bit um, when in response to something I wrote after after the launch because I, I do sincerely believe they've kind of mishandled the rebrand and the start of it and I and I want to see them course That's a correct mess. we I agree wanna, with you Scott it's I want I want to see them course correct it a little bit and I, there was a few comments I got or saw in response to it where they were just like oh Scott's going to be absolutely furious if this car turns out to be good so no the opposite that'll prove that'll prove yeah. that the team can actually do what I want it to do which I my, my concern is that what Red Bull is doing strips away the things that make that team good and interesting and put put style above substance sells it to the highest bidder with the team name blah 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 I want that team to have an identity I want that team to um, try and build on the the cool roots that it's got and the history that it has as Red Bull's second team and before that as as Minardi I, I don't want that stuff to be erased so that it fits really neatly into the Red Bull portfolio and just becomes another asset I want it to be a serious racing team in its own right because that's what makes that's what makes F1 so great and that's the only way that F1 can win me over with the franchise model is if all 10 teams are invested in, are committed to properly, taken very seriously, build identities and become competitive. I don't want Red Bull to just own two teams to cash in on it and then yeah, have some n- nice VIP celebrity 
treatment and fancy sponsors. I thought you were going to finish that point by saying, uh, I want this team to become Andretti. <laughs> <laughs> That's one option. But so far, it's very much Scuderia afterthought, isn't it? That's the way they presented it. <laughs> And that's and that's what I that's what I dislike because that's outstanding. No, you can't just drop that and move on. No, like, that's true. amazing. There's good people there who are capable of doing very good things, and they have done some great things in the past. And that's why the whole identity thing is is so important. And if they're just going to say this is just sort of a team we've got and we don't really care about that, everything Red Bull it, said, it diminishes it, doesn't it? it yeah, diminishes ev- everything, everything Red, that they are capable of. Yeah, everything Red Bull's done, to me, has said, even though they're this great marketing company, supposedly, I, I, I don't know what, well, <laughs> some things have changed there recently, but it, it to me, it, it, that they've just injected this blandness into it that, to me, is completely at odds with what has made Red Bull, the whole company, into a 10 billion plus dollar business. And, and that puzzles me in the extreme, because they had a blank canvas there, and they've basically said, oh, well, why don't we just put a giant visa cash app on it and i've got no problem with the ad- with the advertising in the team name that's that's a fact of life what i don't like is the fact they've subsumed the team identity completely and it's going to confuse people having this rb team as well as what's often known as rbr and i know that because how many times in the past few weeks i committed one this morning you did i was about confusion, to say <laughs> have we had confusion arising when there have been references to rb that you have, just think it's Red Bull. That you think are talking about Red Bull. And that's going to confuse fans. And to me, it just shows contempt for everything, frankly, from, from Red Bull with this. And that's annoyed me because they've generally let that team have a bit of an identity and a place. And that just seems to count for nothing now. So what about the Williams? Because that's the only car we actually haven't seen, isn't it? Have you, cho- have you chosen the third car now, Ben? No, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to catch you up, Ed, because you've only done one and we've done two each. So. Well, I can throw I've the Williams in because... Have you only done one as well, Well, Scott? I supported him on the RB point. Okay, so that's your second one. (laughs) Well, tell you what, well, shall I I agree? Yes, I'll take Williams as my second because we haven't seen it. And that's really the full extent of it because we haven't seen it. We don't know much about it. So I'm quite keen to see it. Well, apart from they're sort of talking up this aggressiveness by being late. Do we we buy that? Are we going to be wowed by what we see because they've, they've just not done a launch? Or do we think that suggests that they're behind? I doubt that. I... I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think they're going to have reinvented the wheel just by being a little bit later with it. But they're they're going to run before the test in Bahrain. So some images may or may not emerge before the test actually starts on Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there'll be anything staggering from Williams. But I'm actually more interested in seeing the car run. Have they sorted that brake locking problem? Will Scott's favourite corner uh, reveal that? Because yes. that's a great one for locking the inside front when you've got turn nine into turn ten. So. That combined with what Alex Alban in particular says about the feel of the car and whether it's a bit less wind sensitive, wind can be quite a factor at the Bahrain circuit as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see it and I'm interested to see how it works. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with Williams as my second choice. I'm, I've, I've gone down the unfashionable end of the grid for uh, for my two choices. But that's, well, if that's it fine. wasn't going to be Sauber, it was going to be Williams. So Exactly. Do you want the second one, Scott? <laughs> we yeah. bank the Sauber as his third choice, don't we? It's just, no <laughs> well, one can touch that. Ben picked Mercedes as his second, didn't he? So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll go. So who have I got left? It's Sauber, Alpine, Aston Martin and Ferrari? Yeah. Are they my choices? Those are your choices, yeah. Okay. Or the Haas. Or you yeah, know, no. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I'm mildly curious to see if the hat is as 
not as bad, but is is it as rooted to the back as they fear it could be, and how far off the off the pack could it be, or, or will it maybe surprise a little bit? But that, I that don't think it. they're going to be cast adrift. I'm not. It's yeah, not going to be. It's a, far, it's it's not, a fast car. It's not going to be 2021. I don't think. No. So I, I. So I just. And I'm just not that fussed about about seeing it. I. I've got reasonable hopes about Alpine, but I'm not particularly fussed about seeing the car i'm curious to see how it shakes out a bit like williams more curious they're playing it down aren't they yeah. Alpine, interestingly like a saying, little we've bit. done a lot of stuff and we're not really sure it all fits together so give us a bit of time yeah and and it's more that car feels a little bit more the changes are less how it looks and more how it works if that makes i yeah. know i know ultimately yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what's important for all the cars but in terms of the the visibility of the changes the, the alpine has more of the sort of subtle kind of evolution or, or, or overhaul. So it's it's Aston or Ferrari for me. I would go with I would go with Ferrari because I'm curious to see in person how much that evolution has changed, how it looks, and whether or not it I, I have I've got a little bit of a fear from the the images that they showed that it's a little bit of a slightly behind the curve Ferrari approximation of an RB nineteen. Um, it's safe, isn't it? It's, it's a safe poss- car. Very possibly. Um, at where, whereas with McLaren, because they switched to that direction last year, I'm, I'm curious to see where they've taken it. Yeah. Whereas Ferrari, that, that doesn't feel like they have. So I, I want to see that. But also I'm curious to see how the car handles and what the drivers start to say about it and just how it does on track. Because this track did expose the weaknesses fairly early last year, especially relative to Red Bull. And, and the, the where, where Ferrari have prioritised it, because a few, again, a few people flagged this up when we were pointed out that they're now the outlier on the rear suspension. They said, "Oh, well, you know, the Ferrari compliance and the traction and then the curb riding was really good last year. So why would they change the suspension?" And and my my answer to that is because it's not necessarily about whether or not that suspension functions really well as rear suspension. It's is it limiting their aerodynamic opportunities at the rear of the car? Yeah. And is that one of the reasons? Was that a factor in why it had? a little bit of underwhelming rear-end aero performance last year and had rear-end instability. So by prioritising aero, by reworking other areas of, of the car, by by modifying bits of the suspension, not massively, but they have made some pretty reasonable changes as well, have they done enough to keep that strong mechanical platform and make it more effective aerodynamically? And I, and I do sincerely think we will get an idea of that in testing, which is so that's why I'll pick the Ferrari. I think the driver feedback, you know, you mentioned earlier about it being important to pay attention to, but also to be a bit sceptical of it. I think with the Ferrari in particular, the driver feedback will be more telling perhaps than with any other car, just because it feels like from what they've said about what they've done, that is at the absolute centre of whatever overhaul has taken place. The drivers were obviously really hanging on to it last year, and it seems like under Vasseur, they've just gone, right, let's prioritise what the drivers are saying and zoom in on those problems. So if... Carlos and Charles are basically saying after one or two days, this thing is not handling right, then Ferrari have massively misstepped. Whereas if they seem to have a bounce in their step, then you can probably feel quite encouraged that Ferrari has at least done what it set out to do. I think my only fear is that they haven't set out to do enough. I feel like they're just kind of playing it a bit safe. They almost It's almost like they last year launched a car that they thought was fundamentally quick you just couldn't access the performance a bit like Merck did for different reasons at the start of the rule set and they're just thinking well if we just tweak here and tidy this bit up our two amazing drivers particularly one amazing driver will just unlock all that performance that's just pent up and yeah maybe there's more in there but I question how much more is in there when you've got teams around them who are already 
either more competitive or near enough as competitive, chasing that bit harder for the extra performance. The good thing is we've picked out the cars to watch and we have mentioned every single car in this section. So we've done a very, very good job. <laughs> really, great, 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 great work, boys. Really efficient. Yeah, yeah, really we've, efficient. We've, we've, we've blown a hole in your rules, Ed. Exactly, exactly. Well, it's important. It means this that- time of year. This time of year is all about finding those loopholes and pushing the, 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 the regulations to the maximum as much as we can. You know, we've worked really hard over the winter. We've been as aggressive as we can and we've just found ways to you know, push the boundaries. But we won't know whether this podcast will be any good this year until at least July. So that's no, the, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We need a we need we need a run of them to establish the pattern. Of I, I think we'll know if this podcast is any good this year by day one of testing. If Verstappen's you know a second quicker than everybody else, if he is, then I don't think there's any hope for this podcast. We're this also year. planning some significant upgrades to Scott uh, around May time, perhaps perhaps Azerbaijan <laughs> Grand Prix, Monaco time that'll budget allowing, substantially change the visual look of uh, of Scott, almost a B spec, you might say. Right, Scott. We've talked a lot about what we're going to see on track, but there's been a lot going on off track heading into the season. What are the big talking points you're expecting to flare up when we get to Bahrain? Okay, so there are there are three things I'll run through quickly that I just think are major priorities in terms of wanting to understand a little bit more, but also just seeing if there is any movement. Um, so the first one is, one that's probably not going to have a huge amount of movement in the short term. But I'm curious because we haven't had chance to speak to Lewis Hamilton since the bombshell Ferrari move for 2025. So I am curious to speak to him, see how much we can sort of probe him a little bit on that and find out some of the rationale behind it because we we just haven't heard from him properly on it. We've had the chance to speak to Toto Wolff, but I would just quite like to sort of fill in a few gaps there when it comes to... Um, you know, the, the the motivations, what changed in his belief of Mercedes, if anything, how wanted does he feel by that organisation versus what attracted him to Ferrari. So there's just, there's a few things I think that to tick off there that, that, that we don't know. So I'm very interested about that. There's been so much speculation, unsurprisingly loads in the Italian media about what he's been offered and, and all of this. I feel like we can start to to, to understand it a little bit better. The, the other two have the potential to move on and are really big stories. One, one obviously is um, Christian Horner's situation at at Red Bull. Um, the the, the elephant invest- in the room. Yeah, exactly. The the investigation around him. He was there front and center at, at the launch. There's no reason to believe he won't be at testing um, as well. And then into the first race, if this isn't resolved one way or the other. By then, it'll be hanging over Red Bull. Does it impact them? How much are they trading on eggshells? Will we actually get news? Because the thing to remember with an investigation like this is there is a proper process that needs to take place and we can't expect it and shouldn't expect it to fit quite nicely with an F1 timeline. That just has to run its course to come to the to the correct conclusion. So curious to see how that pl- plays out. And then the final one, I would say, is the, the Andretti bid for an entry situation what what the what the hell is going on there has there been any more contact between andretti and f1 what's the fia's position on this what happens next because it feels a little bit like andretti's cracking on but not planning immediate legal action so what does it think's going to happen to suddenly swing things in its favor has what does f1 have to say in response to what andretti came out with a couple of weeks ago about um, actually, no, we want to enter for 26, not 25. All the stuff you criticised us about that for is irrelevant. So th- there's there's a lot to untangle there. And that has taken a back seat with so much other news and then car launches coming into focus. FIA have been very quiet too, haven't they? After saying, oh, we're considering 
I think they put that very perfunctory statement out saying they would consider all the implications and that it's just been radio silence. So, Well, I think they realise it's probably best not to say things after the Farago with the whole... Uh possible looking into those weird claims related to the Wolves and that kind of thing that was just a spectacular own goal across the board very very odd but yeah probably better they're a little bit quiet but yeah we're gonna have to have some uh some noise from the FIA fairly soon on things there's also an interesting topic Ben which Fernando Alonso raised during the launch it was clearly something it wasn't something he was asked about he just threw it in himself that he said he'd been thinking about the lack Alonso of testing Alonso dropping bombs well no. exactly but it's obviously something that's getting to him and he I think he said he was furious about this fact actually that because it's only three days of testing that means only a day and a half in the car for each driver which he just says isn't enough and he also said I don't know why when we've only got one test just before the first race why don't we allow two car tests so we both get three days at least there's just not enough uh, time for that what what do you make of that Ben is there an argument for having a little bit more preparation time could teams get two cars up and running because although the first race follows on directly after there there is a four day five day gap where there's no running before we get into uh to free pre-practice no hang on how many do- yeah free practice on thursday <laughs> in bahrain i was going to say we'll, friday we'll forgive practice. you ed it's been such a crazy well, period it's, it's, it's difficult well to what threw me here race. was the two was the two saturday races that start the season which everyone has yes. to remember yes saudi arabian grand prix and the bahrain grand prix are held on saturday so that the gap's a bit different but anyway i've rambled on enough about that it's testing enough ben go it's testing enough ben go i think alonso on the one hand He's a little bit spoiled because he's been around so long. He remembers when you could test for fun. And drivers who come from that period always wish that there was more testing because they they probably didn't enjoy it at the time, but they miss it now that it's gone. It doesn't Expanding it doesn't fit with the whole cost-saving drive that was really behind, even when F1 was more profligate with its finances, trying to restrict testing, not having too much of it, not teams having to employ whole extra teams of staff to run the cars in tandem with race programmes. We don't have that anymore. I think you could say under the cost cap, now things are much more reined in. Maybe you there is room to tweak that the other way because you've got so much other stuff under control, but it still creates issues in terms of, well, you need bigger crews at the test because you don't have just one crew running one car. You need two crews to one, run two cars in tandem and then just... Just wait when all the drivers then start moaning that there's too much traffic and people are getting in each other's way and they can't do any meaningful running because there's 20 cars on track all the time. The cars are so much more reliable now as well. I don't feel like testing is as important as it used to be in terms of ironing stuff out and, and proving things. The simulations are so good. The whole production of the cars is just night and day different to when Alonso started his F1 career. And drivers A lot, a lot of them are a- running on full car dynos as well. Yeah, exactly. So the cars I mean, have done thousands of kilometres effectively. You and I both well remember the the, the testing of the, the first hybrid era F1 cars in 2014 and how spectacularly disastrous it was for some in terms of things blowing up and cars, the Red Bull being hacksawed repeatedly in the garages throughout that that run of tests. You know, that's, that, that's, that's the only time I've been able to legitimately hang around in the fast lane of a live pit lane just chatting to people because we, there was nothing happening. Nothing so happening, the, you know, just the, cars the in the garages. Was open, yeah. The track was open, but nothing nobody happened. was going out no. for the first All song. you could hear was power tools being uh, being utilised to, to cut bodywork open because they'd misjudged the cooling so badly. You know, that's long gone. It's way in the rearview mirror. The cars at, 
especially now into rule year three of these rules as well the current ground effect rules people know what they're doing so they, you're not going to be bouncing your car to death you're not going to be smashing floors to bits really you know there's always a chance a driver might make a mistake and and damage parts but doesn't really happen so much in testing now either so i think the cars are pretty much bulletproof the team's pretty know pretty much know what to expect i think three days is enough whoever's driving for them to learn what they need to learn especially when you've got a race weekend at the same track the following week and i think a driver as good as alonso he doesn't need two or three days of testing to get on the pace with a new car you know he's good enough to be bang there within one one and a half if you have problems it's different but i just don't anticipate they will have but that just, to me, raises the question, so why, why is he going on about this and, and why now? Because it's not, <laughs> yeah, good it's, not, yeah. it's, not, it's not year one of his comeback. It's not even year two of his comeback. It's not year one with Aston Martin. He's had a full year with the team. The three-day test is nothing new. It's not like this has suddenly been slashed down for, for this season. I, so what, what could possibly be the reason? What, why, why make a fuss now? I do wonder if it's partly down to the fact of because there is a fundamental I know I know Stroll's going to do all three days Alonso's <laughs> realised that Stroll's pulled rank and said I'm having all the time because I hurt my wrist last year so I'm owed days in the car so you can sit on the bench for this one and he's furious about it because even Alonso wants to at least have some laps in his new car <laughs> it could it could very well be that I, I did wonder <laughs> if it was somewhat connected to other elements because there is a legitimate problem in that drivers don't get much time to run and prepare and be sharp etc and that, that is an issue particularly for the younger drivers but even the experienced ones like a little bit more running but also we've got this push towards having fewer sessions that aren't competitive as Stefano Domenicali's always pushing so I, want, I do wonder if it's just getting a little bit of a, a counter argument in first into the minds of everyone about the fact oh there's hardly any testing already so it could be could be part of that could be something to do with that and maybe there's going to be some attempt to push under the cost cap to allow a little bit more flexibility to test if if you want to if you want to spend your money that way yeah I, I, there just has to be something there has to be something else now going on whether it's a broader thing a slightly political thing could it relate specifically to the situation that Aston Martin finds itself in this season having having got to that point of um kind of getting on top of some areas of the car towards the end of last season having got a bit lost and now he's now they're trying to layer back performance back onto the to, to the new car. They've made quite a few changes. Is there is, is that playing a part? And Alonso's kind of planting a bit of a seed of well, really, to up for a team to understand their car and optimize it. Three days just isn't enough. And there's a little bit of you know, will, will it take a bit of time for Aston Martin to get on top of the changes that they've made to their car to fix the issues of last year? Just wonder if. There's something like that going on in the background because what what it can't be with the ferocity that he spoke about it and the fact that it was clearly a deliberate thing he wanted to raise. Whether it's is it just it could be a distraction technique to something else. I don't know, but there has to be something. This isn't just a ra- like a random Alonso gripe, and it's not a reaction to something about testing changing because everything's the same. Alonso does nothing without reason. That's absolutely exactly. the case, and I think there's there's sincere because he's also. You know, he is also a, a racer, and I think he will genuinely understand that there's a bit of a problem with the the, the lack of running opportunities for a, a lot of drivers. Who knows? Maybe it's also partly due to the fact that he's getting more and more involved with younger drivers as well. Who knows? Uh, actually, just had a thought. He did mention, didn't he, that he'd been giving this some thought over the winter, and I wonder yes. if, I wonder if he'd either he'd spoken to someone 
or people that were involved in other sports or something else and there's just a bit of a discussion over someone might have just innocuously asked him would you really only get a few hours of preparation before you start a new season you know and something there there is however slim there is the possibility it has genuinely it's a sincere thing he's raising it's just sprung from something like that because if you do if you do compare it to other sports i know that you do the simulator work you're doing a lot of physical preparation and stuff like that and i know that it is it is harder to practice technique as a racing driver because of the cost and logistics involved especially once you get to f1 but in, in from that from a very basic position the, the amount of preparation a driver gets to do before a full season of racing is pretty ludicrous compared to other competitive sports where they are practicing day in, day out. They're actually competing against rivals. There's there's all kinds of way, whether you can, like tennis, for example, is, uh, it's just, it's completely different the way football clubs operate. It is completely different. So maybe something has happened over the winter, a conversation he's had that has just planted that seed in Alonso's head. Was Alonso one of those who didn't like the sprint format as it was because you had people like Leclerc who was who was like yeah I love the fat one session and then bang you're into qualifying and then it's it's the race weekend effectively so on that end and you know that's a top driver talking you feel like well if he's speaking the minds obviously his own mind but the minds of others like him they don't need three practice sessions on a race weekend, really. That's more than in, one is more than enough. But I don't, I don't recall what Alonso's opinion was on that. If he, if he likes going into the cut and thrust almost straight away, then that wouldn't be consistent with suddenly thinking, oh yeah, we need more testing or more, more non-competitive running. But if he, if he didn't like the sprint format and the lack of practice, then it would be at least consistent with that. I don't think he minds the lack of practice because he prides himself quite justifiably on how good he is extracting the pace straight away. So uh, I, yeah. I, I don't recall They don't need ever... the practice. That's the thing that I find, you know. Yeah. Well, but some of the younger drivers do. Because remember, it, it's much, much harder. It's not just the practice, but it's the opportunity to show what you can do as well. And that's why I wondered whether the fact Alonso is getting a little bit more involved in the in the young driver side and bringing drivers on. And he'll be seeing that as a limitation. Who, who knows? But uh, we can uh, we can maybe ask him to elaborate uh, on on that particular one because it's a, it's an interesting interesting point. I'm sure if it's something that he really wants to lobby for, we will be hearing plenty more of that because Alonso is not backward in coming forward at that kind of thing. But perhaps we'll uh, we'll ask him when we get to Bahrain. He's not quite on the Zach Brown AB team thing yet, is he? You know, we've heard that so so loud and clear over the over the winter. We know exactly where Brown stands on his pet topic. And with Alonso, this is kind of more like a first salvo, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was funny. I, I think drivers generally do believe there's not enough running opportunities as a whole. But Perez was asked about it at the Red Bull launch, and he said, "Well, yeah, there's not enough running preseason, but when are we going to do it all with 24 races?" So, uh, no, but exactly, that, that's yeah. that's the other. And, and also, they'll all say they much rather race than test. So it's like there's a finite number of days in the year in which you can run. So, you know, let's have more races and fewer tests, definitely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, we'll see if anybody else picks up and runs with that particular bit of lobbying in the coming season. But we're going to head off to Bahrain now. As I said, we'll probably already be there by the time you hear this. So thanks, Ben and Scott. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there and we'll be bringing you everything that's going on during testing. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, the Race F1 Tech Show, our IndyCar, MotoGP and Formula E podcast. And also head to YouTube for long and short form videos. And remember that limited time offer for the race members club well finally we're going to see the cars on track in action so stay with us for everything you need to know for the world of formula one 
The Athletic.